Well, we've read quite a bit of Scripture this morning, and I hope that uh, it hasn't been lost on you that, that the reason for that is that we want to tell the story that's been told for 4,000 years. Not just 2,000 years, but we're telling a story that the Bible started all the way back in Genesis 1. That God is relentless in His pursuit of redeeming human beings. And a lot of times we can get really comfortable with that. A lot of times we can hear that and be like, yeah, that's what God does. And yet, when we come to terms with the fact that not only do we fail time and time again, but that we have, we have intentionally rebelled against God, then we begin to see that the gospel is even greater than we could imagine. And so this story of redemption that we celebrate on this Easter Sunday, this, this story has been a story that has been told for thousands of years, how God redeems people. And that's preeminently seen in King Jesus. And so there are four things that I'd like for us to glean from all of these texts. And I'm just going to be interweaving some of them. And hopefully as you heard them, it won't get lost in, in, in all of that. But I want to say that the first thing that we know about Easter Sunday and that we know about the resurrection of Jesus is that His resurrection fulfilled it fulfilled all of the expectations of the Old Testament. I mean, we've, we've been reading a ton in here, right? This is not an entirely new story. This is not an entirely new story, right? We, we heard in Genesis 3 that there was a fall, and yet even in the fall, Adam calls his wife Eve. Did you catch why he calls her Eve? In the midst of death and cursing, Adam calls his wife Eve because she will be the mother of the living, so that in the midst of death, and curse, there's life. There's life. And she would in fact give birth to a few sons. But they would all fail. And then we hear in about Noah and the covenant had with Noah. That he says to Noah the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. And then we see in the story that Noah failed. And then we see in Genesis 22 where God says to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son. And God in His grace provides a ram instead of Him having to sacrifice His beloved son. And then we hear how God delivers His people from slavery in Egypt. And, and even though the people are grumbling and saying, it would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to die right here at the Red Sea. What does God say to them? God says, only be silent. And I will fight for you. And then we hear about this righteous branch that would spring from King David who failed time and again. We hear about this righteous branch who would spread out his branches and welcome all those under the shade of his grace and mercy. See, this story is not new. In fact, there are stories in the Old Testament of resurrection. The, the prophets Elijah and Elisha, they both resurrected uh, people. Uh, Jesus himself resurrected Lazarus, and he also resurrected a widow's son. So what is it that's unique about Jesus' resurrection? Well, for one, all of those people in the Old Testament died. Again, Lazarus died at some point. The widow's sons, they all died. But Jesus ever lives. Jesus ever reigns and rules right now. That's why his 
His resurrection is different, and not only is it different, but but all of the Old Testament prophets had foretold of this. We heard about that in Acts, didn't we? Where Peter says of this large gathering, Acts 10, he says, To Jesus all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And it's not in Lazarus, and it's not in anyone else who's been resurrected that the forgiveness of sins can come. But then we see, secondly, not only does Jesus' resurrection fulfill all of the Old Testament, but we see that Jesus' resurrection was witnessed to as well. And this is a really key point because a lot of times we can read the Bible and when we're reading it by ourselves, we can think, oh, wow, this is only just happening between me and the Bible right here. And a lot of times we can think that this was a private event, that it was just to a select few people. You see, in fact, the religious leaders, they had started a rumor that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And in fact, that 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 rumor continues even today. You have a lot of atheists who who have said the same thing that that, wow, that that they probably just stole the body and and hid it somewhere. Well, you got to consider this, that all of the disciples alive at the resurrection of Jesus, all the disciples except John, who was exiled to an island, Every single one of them died because of their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if, if I were to come to you and say, hey, you need to recant of this lie and I won't kill you. But if you refuse to recant what you know to be a lie, then you're going to die. Well, you and I and any sensible person would say, yeah, you, yeah, you know what? I, we stole the body. It's hidden over there under that oak tree. But that's not the case. Every single one of the disciples who were alive at the resurrection, they knew that Jesus had been resurrected. And so they said, I will be hung upside down if I have to be. I will be burned alive. I will be gutted and splayed open because I know it's true. That, that, my friends, is resurrection power to be able to give people who were timid before the kind of power to say, I know what I believe and I know that Jesus is alive. Why would they die for a lie? And it's, and it's not just those apostles that, that, that were willing to be killed for their faith. But Jesus also appeared, to we read in Scripture, more than 500 people over a period of 40 days. So a lot of times when we read the Bible, we can skip over the fact that Jesus appeared for 40 days to more than 500 people. So everybody could corroborate everything that was being said here. They could say, yeah, you, you said that in, in, in hey, Apostle John, you said this, but that, that, I don't remember that. Well, now we have all of these witnesses who are able to say, yes, this is true. And so one of the things that we've done as a church, um, if, you, if you have your own doubts about the resurrection, uh, we purchased uh, about 30 copies of this book that was really impactful for me in college. It's called More Than a Carpenter. Uh, written by Josh McDowell, and it's on the welcome table out in the foyer. And if you want, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take it, uh, uh, one per household, please, or one per person uh, per household, however you want to divvy that up. But please take it and read it, because in that, McDowell goes through all of these things, the reliability of the Scripture, because maybe you find, well, maybe there's a bunch of lies in there. Or, or then he talks about this, these witnesses in the New Testament. He talks about all these things that are not new, it's not like all of a sudden Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and all these folks that, that are saying that, oh, this is all a lie. That, that's nothing new. And so the church has stood for the last 2,000 years in the midst of a lot of doubt. And they have answers for those doubts. So our Christian faith is not meant to just kind of shovel things under the rug and not deal with it. 
And so I, I would commend to you that book to, to uh, help satisfy any kind of curiosity they have. It's only like 100 pages, and it's a really uh, fun, quick read. So, so not only did Jesus' resurrection fulfill the Old Testament, not only were there witnesses to it, but the resurrection of Jesus also unites. This is number three, point number three. So fulfilled, witnessed, and unites. So, yes, the resurrection of Jesus is a one-time event. There is no question about that. It's a historical event. But the resurrection of Jesus, and we heard this in Romans, didn't we? The resurrection of Jesus is not the last resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is like Jesus is going through the jungle, and he's like a pioneer who's slashing all of the, the brush in front of you. In fact, he cracks open the grave, and he says, follow me to life. So Jesus is the firstborn of creation. We're going to look at that next week from from Revelation chapter 1. But he, like a pioneer, opens the door to life. That we will never experience what the Bible calls the second death. The second death of not being with, with God. But Jesus leads the way. He begins, in fact, the mass resurrection for all those who put their faith in Jesus. And it's not just a metaphorical resurrection. This is a physical resurrection that one day when Jesus returns, we will be resurrected and we will see him with our physical eyes. See, this is not merely, though, a past event. It is historical. But the resurrection of Jesus is not merely a past event. But it's a present reality. Jesus lives right now. We can a lot of times forget that, that Jesus lives right now and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And see, Romans 6, that's, that's the Apostle Paul's entire argument. He says, you are not slaves to sin anymore because of the resurrection. You have power to fight sin. You are no longer a slave chained up like Israel was in Egypt to sin. But Christ has broken those chains and given you life. Yeah, there's, there's struggle with sin. The Christian life has never promised a life free from sin or struggle. But, but there is power to kill sin, to fight sin. So God doesn't look at any of us in this room and say, man, what's wrong with you? Why haven't you gotten your act together yet? I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did this morning. That's not, that's not what we hear about in Scripture. And God says, be quiet and I will fight for you. Be quiet and let me break your chains. And I have broken them. If you will repent and believe in Jesus, you can have life forever and ever. No, you, my friend, if you have put your faith in Jesus, have been resurrected with him. You don't have to go around with your head held low and your, and your shoulders shrugged. No, there's power freedom in Christ. And he says to all of us, stop, stop feeling like you're defeated because you are not defeated because there's one who has conquered every single sin that you struggle with. He provides life for you. Because the Apostle Paul said this, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus' resurrection unites us with Him so that we can live by the power of His Spirit, not chained to sin any longer. No longer slaves, but children of God. Let me just say this. True salvation, true salvation is not just knowing these things. True salvation is not just knowing these things with our head and knowing that it's reliable and true. True salvation, what Scripture teaches, true salvation is an act of submitting your life to His rule and His reign. His rule and His reign, and that's the fourth and final point. So we've heard that Jesus' resurrection fulfilled, it was witnessed to, it unites us with Him. And then lastly, Jesus' resurrection invites us. It invites You see, some of you are too aware of your sin. And some of us aren't aware of our sin enough, honestly. But some of us may be saying, that sounds too good to be true. That's not for me. That's not for me. There's so many doubts. There's so many questions. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? In fact, the matter is I don't. But yes, God does. And He still invites you. God knows All of the stuff, not just what you know about yourself. He knows all of the rebellion in your heart. And if he were to reveal all of that to you, you would die. You would be overcome with how rebellious you are to God. And yet he still says to you, come, come to me. I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did this morning. I know even now in your heart what you are wanting and desiring, and I will give you the freedom that you, only I can give. So you may be saying, I, Matt, you know what I've done? No, I don't. But let me give you this encouragement. That the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 6 that I just referenced a moment ago, the Apostle Paul murdered Christians. And yet God threw him off his horse and said, I will have you. Repent and believe, Saul, and I will make you Paul. Maybe you're, you're overcome by your sin and your doubts and your questions. Maybe you're afraid of what it will cost you. You hear the invitation, and yet you don't want to give up that certain thing. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest that what it will cost you is everything that you have. It will cost you your life. If you choose to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross and follow him and die every day to what you think that you know to be true and good for you. You say, I will lay it down because I know that there is true life and true joy on the other side of me dying. And so it is not just a happy, slappy life. No, the Christian call is for each of us every day at lunch today 
tonight, tomorrow, to lay down our life. And in laying down our life and dying, we are raised to the newness of life. We find that in Jesus, there is joy unspeakable. In Jesus, there is not an iota of sin that remains because He forgives it all. Maybe you said a prayer when you were a kid. But you've lived life like you wanted to for the rest of your life. You said, yeah, I prayed a prayer. I walked down an aisle. I raised my hand. I signed a card. And yet you continue to live your life on your own terms. You have not bowed your knee to Jesus yet. Until you say, not my will, but yours be done, you have not bowed your knee to Jesus. But see, friends, there's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's salvation. There's life. There's life in the midst of death. In the midst of the curse, there's a blessing. And there's life on the other side of that. And have you ever considered that all of the sin that you have run hard and fast after is your heart's longing as created in the image of God, your heart's longing to find its fulfillment only and ever in God. All of your running has been your own declaration that you are running after God. And yet this morning I am telling you that you will only find your satisfaction in Jesus. And he beckons you and he welcomes you and he says, Come, come to me. I know what you did. I know who you are. And I can give you freedom. I can give you Holy Spirit-empowered freedom. I will break the chains if you will give them to me. And he can free you, friends, from every sin. That is a promise. That is a promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament, to show himself to over 500 witnesses, to unite us with him so that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God. And and through his resurrection, you invite us. Father, we we pray that you would make this gospel, this resurrection, sweeter today on this day than it's ever been to us before. As we consider our unrighteousness and our rebellion, and yet we see our crucified and risen Savior, King Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.